Welcome to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of the Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the decline of human lifespan, as we pick up in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Chapter 6, it came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took unto them wise of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not always strive with man in that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. So we're coming now to a time in which God is going to drastically alter man's lifespan. By the time they were getting 900 years old, they were getting so wicked. God says, I'm not going to leave them around that long. Cut them down to 120 years. So a drastic altering after the flood of man's lifespan, which could easily be explained by the loss of of the protective blanket around the earth, allowing much greater cosmic radiation, which causes the mutations of the cells, which causes the aging process in man. There's no way by which you can protect yourself from these little neutrinos, these little cosmic rays that bombard the earth and pass right through the thing like it wasn't even there. The earth is under this constant bombardment. Actually, we are protected much by our atmosphere. There is a certain danger to too much high-altitude flying. You get up above the protective blanket and your ultraviolet ray radiation gets much greater and that the airlines have found that they can only you know, say pilots really have it made, you know, and they only fly once a week or all. That's because of the fact that it is a hazardous thing. You're getting up above much of our protective blanket when you get up 38, 39,000 feet. And so they, they limit their exposure. We're learning more and more about that. Who are the sons of God? Now, there are those who will make the sons of God the descendants of Shem. So they are Shemites, say some. The daughters of men were the Cainites, the descendants of Cain, according to the theory. And the godly line of Shem began to intermarry with the ungodly line of Cain. And the product is hard to explain how it was giants, but that's the theory. The term sons of God in the Old Testament is used elsewhere, but only of angels, never of man. In Job, the sons of God were presenting themselves to God, and Satan also came with them. Angels. It would appear that these are angels here in Genesis, that they actually began to intermingle and intermarry. You say, but wait a minute. Jesus said the angels neither marry nor are given in marriage in heaven. That is true. 
But Jesus did not say that they were sexless. He just said there was no marriage nor given in marriage, and it is interesting that always angels are referred to in a masculine form. There are difficulties with this verse if you try to make it the godly line of Seth and the ungodly line of Cain. There are also difficulties if you try to make it angels intermarrying with man. But in verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. Some kind of a super race of giant men as a result of this. In the New Testament, we read that those angels which kept not their first estate are reserved in the chains of Tartarus awaiting the day of judgment. It seems that there were certain angels perhaps that did not keep the first principle or first estate. Maybe they were these angels who came down and began to intermingle and intermarry with men. There are a lot of interesting things that we don't know all of the answers to, this being one of them. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and the eyes, and that every imagination and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Now, whenever we get to this statement that it repented God, we find that it is, again, a difficult statement to handle because the Scripture clearly teaches that God is not a man that he should repent or that he should lie, nor the Son of Man that he should repent. In other words, God being omniscient knew from the beginning what was going to be. Then what does the Scripture mean? It repented God, and God said, I, I you know, I'm... Sorry that I've made man, that it repented God that he had made man. It is extremely difficult to talk about God in human terms because we are limited to human terminology. Therefore, there are certain actions of God that I must describe, but how am I going to describe them except with language that we understand. So this is one of those areas where you run into the difficulty because you're trying to explain an action of God, but the only words that you have to explain that action are words that are significant to man, but not at all in the category of God. So trying to explain it in a way that man would understand from the human level, this action of God, I am bound to the human terms, and thus I attribute unto God a human capacity 
Though in reality, the repentance of God is not at all as I would repent or I would be sorry for a thing. But I cannot understand the action of God because His ways are above my ways and beyond my finding out. So God knew from the beginning all things. God knew that men would be corrupted. God knew that there would be violence. God knew that men would, would bring self-destruction upon Himself. And so we describe the action of God in human terms. But yet the Scripture declares that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. But I have no other word to describe the action of God, so I describe it in human terms, though it is not at all repentance as man would turn or man would change. God said, Behold, I am the Lord God, I change not. He doesn't have to change, he is God. And so God declares his destruction of the earth, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. In the midst of an evil and corrupt world, with the wickedness and the corruption and every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart, evil continually, there's one man down on earth walking in harmony with God, in fellowship with God. Noah walked with God. What a testimony and what a witness. The earth also was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. God looked upon the earth. Behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and thou shalt pitch it or cover it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. Now, a cubit is about 18 inches long, which means that this ark was 450 feet long, 150 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. It was to be three stories, 15 feet each. Pretty big boat, really. It has a cubic footage of about 1,400,000 cubic feet equivalent to about 522 cattle cars of a train. So if you had a train with 522 cattle cars, you could carry quite a few animals. The ark was no just little boat. It was something like man had never seen up to that point. It is interesting that it is six times as long as it is wide which, of course, we have discovered today is the ideal ratio for a ship, its length to its width. 
and most of our Navy ships are just about the same ratio, about six times 450 by 75, about six to one. Now, a lot of times people have difficulty with this story of the flood, the story of the ark, the story of the animals coming in, the story of the preservation of man and animals. But there have been some excellent books written on the subject. Dr. Whitcomb and Dr. Morris have combined together in a book called The Genesis Flood, which is perhaps one of the most scholarly of all of the books that have been written on the subject. But there has been of late recent interest in the flood and, and in the ark because there are continuing reports of a large ship up encased in the ice on Mount Everett. And these go back to the time of Marco Polo who reports this great boat up there in the ice as the people in the area talk about it. In 1917, there was a report of a Russian flyer who spotted in a particularly hot summer and long summer, as he was flying in the area of Mount Ararat, he spotted this great boat down there in the ice. According to his story, an expedition was formed. And at the time that they were coming out with the evidence was when the Bolshevik revolution took over and all of the evidence was destroyed. This flyer later came to Canada and told his story, which caused others to try to find or locate this boat and one of these being a French explorer by the name of Navarro, who has brought back wood from this object that he found high above the timberline encased in the ice and described it in his book, Noah's Ark, I Touched It, by Francis Navarro. There are attempts at expeditions now, but the Turkish government being Muslim controlled has really not allowed any recent kind of expeditions. There are men of science who would like to go up and settle the issue once and for all. But the Turkish government right now is opposed to it, even as the government of Syria has been reluctant to allow any more excavations where they found the Ebla tablets because of the Ebla tablets proving the fact that Abraham did exist, David did exist, and so forth. And they're upset with this because it does give to the Israelis a claim and a right to the land. And so the Syrian government has asked them uh, not to do any more excavations in the area of the Ebla tablets and are cutting off any further scientific expeditions there because of the adverse effect uh, upon it, also a Muslim state. And uh, if the art could be discovered, then of course it would 
uh, create a interesting problem for the scientist is how did that boat get up there so high? Uh, <laughs> how did they carry the lumber up there to build that thing and, and the whole thing? Uh, it would be, of course, very interesting. Jesus said, blessed are they who see and believe, more blessed are they who believe without seeing. And uh, if it would take the ark's discovery to make a believer out of you, I feel sorry for you, but I hope that they will discover it so you will become a believer. Uh, but uh, there is other interesting evidence that the world did experience a worldwide flood. Of course, the idea of a worldwide flood is opposed to the uniformitarian theory upon which evolution is based, and it is interesting that scientists are not always honest. In fact, there's a lot of dishonesty in the scientific field. They like to come off as men of science. But most of them have certain theories that they have sworn by, and thus to change would be to discredit themselves, and their pride won't allow them to do it. And anyone who says anything other than what they have already accepted as fact, any evidence that is brought forth that would destroy one of their theories that they accept as scientific fact, they immediately reject, crucify the individual, reject his works. Uh, Emmanuel Vilikovsky first came out with his book, uh, Ages or Worlds in Collision, and it was first published by Macmillan. Now, Macmillan publishes a lot of school textbooks, and the professors were so angry at the facts that Emmanuel Vilikovsky came out with in his book, Worlds in Collision, showing the impossibility of uniformitarianism, disproving it, that they raised such a ruckus that Macmillan Company had to quit publishing the book. And Doubleday picked up the rights and began to publish it. But they were determined to not allow the book to come to the public. And when it was delivered to the public, there was a great furor and a quick retraction of the things that he said before the book was ever published, before people had full copies of the book. They were already writing rebuttals, not even knowing for sure what he said. Scientists are not dishonest. I mean, they are not honest. When it comes to a... a uh, a, a destroying of one of their pet little theories, They're, they will lie, they will connive and everything else in order to keep their theory alive. And their pet theory is that man exists by an evolutionary process. And the reason why they love that theory so much is because it is able to exclude God from the system. And anxious to exclude God from their system, they tenaciously, religiously hold to the evolutionary theory, though much evidence is being uncovered that would 
really make the theory quite incredible. Emmanuel Bielikowski has written a new book, Earth in Upheaval. Now, let me say this concerning Emmanuel Bielikowski. Number one, he doesn't really believe that the Bible is the Word of God. In fact, there are parts of the Bible that he completely rejects. He's not a Christian. He's a Jewish scientist. But he looks at the Bible as a history book, and he takes the things that happened or that the Bible declares happens, and he seeks to use them as historic facts to prove his theory, which is that the planet Venus was introduced to our solar system and became fixed in its own orbit at about the time of Joshua, and the long day of Joshua is explained by this near pass of the planet Venus. That the plagues in Egypt at the time of Moses are explained by an earlier pass of the planet Venus, that there were several passes until it became fixed in its own orbit around the sun. There were several near misses. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 6 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bring you into a special consciousness of His presence of his love, of his interest in your life. And may you walk in the consciousness of God's grace and be led by his Spirit. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. It's with great honor that the Word for Today would like to present Pastor Chuck Smith's book entitled Prayer, Our Glorious Privilege. With great clarity, Pastor Chuck masterfully taught the principles of praying to God our Father and emphasized the power that belongs to each one of us when we rely on the Holy Spirit to guide and nurture our prayer lives. I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, 
prayer, our glorious privilege, and study it to put these biblical principles into practice. Read this book and come to the most amazing realization that prayer is the most potent weapon in your spiritual arsenal, and use it with great promise and hope. For when you begin a life of prayer, you begin a great adventure. To order a copy of this book in print or to download a digital copy, please visit thewordfortoday.org or call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.